who've got the magic touch. It makes me glow so much. It casts a spell. It rings a bell. The magic touch. Willing to rewatch a movie. Claire, Claire, Claire. You can't do that again. That's not fair. <laughs> Bobby Banana. Please don't aggregate this. Lillard. Long range three. <laughs> the defense is atrocious. I'm sort of the rock star. Right on the Tissot is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love the playing there. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just hitting me right now. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? Bye. All right, we are back. Uh, the coronavirus uh, sheltering in place. The hunkering down, whatever you want to call it, is still in place here. But Ben... That means we will continue our uh, watch, rewatch of the 93-94 NBA playoffs, specifically the Eastern Conference semifinals between the Knicks and the Bulls. Um, how you doing, man? Quick, uh, quick coronavirus check-in. How, how you holding up? How's the family uh, doing and stuff? Yeah, we're we're good. We're uh, we haven't nothing has tra- dramatically changed since our good. last uh, touch base, uh, which was a couple of days ago. Mm. So. Yeah, you know, just uh, just getting through it day cool. by day, uh, doing what we need to do uh, to uh, to cope. Um, which, in our case, Chris, yes. I, I think we've I think we've hit on something here. Yeah. I think I think we found we have our, found uh, I think we mechanism. found a, a formula here that has uh, proven uh, pretty successful. I wouldn't call it a a cure by any means. No. Um, but it is a, uh, a therapeutic. I think that is the, yeah. um, that is the word, not a, uh, not a vaccine, but a therapeutic. Yeah, man. And, um, for us at least, uh, that is the 1993, 94 New York Knicks, That's right. uh, and specifically their, uh, run through the 1994 Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, we started last episode with uh, with Game One of the Eastern Conference semifinals, and you know, you know, at, at at that time, I think we were both sort of like, oh, you know, maybe we'll we'll mix it up, maybe we'll um, we'll throw in, you know, I mean, obviously, there's there's a decades worth of basketball that we could um, revisit here. Um, so many classic games from the 90s to the 2000s, you know, epic uh, finals matchups, buzzer beaters, um, some of the, you know, some some of the greatest moments in NBA history. Um, but we decided to uh, to stick with with what we what we know <laughs> and what we love. <laughs> so, yeah, so, here we are. Yeah. In- instead of, uh, you know, changing course dramatically here, we're going to keep it simple and we are going to stick with... Um, with the same series, uh, and we're just going to progress a little bit. That's we're right. going to inch forward in time from game one to game three. Now right. we could have we could have watched game two, but listen, you know we don't have who you know we don't know how long uh, we're we're going uh, to have to to be able to do this kind of stuff. So um, we're gonna we're gonna focus on on only the uh, the really big important games. Game two now. 
I didn't I didn't go back and rewatch game two of the series. I think it was closer than I remember. I think yes. it was it also involved a a Knicks fourth quarter comeback or at least like a, a second half comeback, um, where they basically just did the same thing that they did in game one, cl- like clamped down and uh kind of took over in the fourth quarter. Um but uh but sadly we did not um find the time to uh to explore that game in depth. But instead we're gonna turn to game number three. So at this point, yeah, the Knicks have a commanding uh, 2-0 series advantage. Uh, they, you know, they swept their home court. Now they are headed back to Chicago for Game Three. Uh, De- ben, the date is May 13th, 1994. Again, the number two seed New York Knicks are uh, are visiting the Chicago Bulls, and now right um, in 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 the old Chicago Stadium, the which old I think Chicago this stadium. That's this right. was the last the last season that 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 building was was used. Uh, before they went to the United Center. Um, so, yeah, a lot of history, obviously, a lot of, you know, the, the, the stakes were high. The, the drama was very high. This is, of course, as we discussed at length, last episode, Scottie Pippen's team now, he, mm. is, he is the man, he is the alpha. Yeah. Um, Jordan is playing minor league baseball uh, in Birmingham um, and, uh, and, and watching, watching basketball games at home. Scotty Pippen is the leader. He is he is the one that this is all riding on, and he has a lot to prove. You know, he's always been, you know, Jordan's Robin, the the, the guy in the in the shadow. It is incredibly loud at Chicago Stadium, especially when Scotty Pippen was introduced. As we look at tonight's Chrysler Plymouth starting matchups, the Knicks same lineup since March first. Well, with Bonner and then his substitute Mason on Pippen, this has been a major factor. Oakley doing a terrific job on Grant. So this is the first time that he's, you know, kind of gotten the opportunity to, to, to prove what he can do to show the world that he is not a second banana. He is not a beta, right? He can be a leader, an alpha. And, um, and he's trying to do that to prove that uh, in this series against the Knicks, but they're in a hole. They're down two Oh going back to Chicago. I thought we would approach this like we did with the last episode. Did you have any sort of big overarching realizations, memories, rewatching this? And then we can kind of hop into some specifics, but anything just, you know, you know, you, you big overarching thoughts that you kind of forgot until you revisited this game. Um, so this is a game that we that we picked. We you know we talked about we touched on this game. We mentioned it last episode. Um, uh, spoiler alert: This is the the Tony Ku coach final shot game. Mm. Um, uh, so we sort of picked it knowing just kind of like having that um, memory, you know, in my mind. I hadn't uh, you know gone back and, and rewatched this game since I watched it as a kid on TV in 1994. Um, so I really didn't remember much at all except I didn't for remember anything. I mean, yeah, I did I, not remember anything. Yeah, I really didn't either. I just remembered it was an intense Knicks Bulls playoff game that ended uh, in wild fashion. So uh, I remember like the final shot and the and the sort of circumstances surrounding that. Um, but I did not remember. I just sort of in my memory, I was just like, oh yeah, it was probably like a really close game throughout. But no, it was the exact same <laughs> as Game One, and I'm assuming Game Two mm-hmm. where. The the comeback, and now this was an even more dramatic comeback than the Knicks pulled off in Game One. Um, we'll get into all of it, but it was it really just like amazed me how this team had such a a style and a formula where they just kind of like 
you know, clung on for dear life until they got to the fourth quarter and then just became a completely different team. Yeah. Um, and their and their defense, uh, you know, ratcheted up to a level that just they just completely changed the game. Um, which I guess they just couldn't do for an entire game because that would completely exhaust them. Um, but yeah, it was, it's just it's like crazy this the the sort of starkness of the of the difference between um you know when when the team had uh you know was was had decided to to enter that that mode um so yeah i mean i did not so we'll get into the specifics of it how everything happened but for instance i totally forgot that there was a brawl uh oh yeah me too to- yep. totally did not forgot. remember the brawl <laughs> Yeah. Yep. I mean, there there were so many brawls uh, <laughs> in Nick's history True. in the '90s. Um, you know, they all sort of blurred together. But yeah. I definitely did not remember that there was a pretty big one uh, in this game. I can't like. Um, yeah. I mean, it just it speaks to I guess the era of basketball. But like, I forgot that there used to be brawls in basketball like this that were sort of like com- commonplace. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, pretty like, pretty regular. Like spilled uh, re- into resulted the crowd. in in. Two players being ejected from the game, and that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. There were no other disciplinary measures. And the thing that I really love about this brawl in particular, Chris, is of course that it took place right like five of- feet <laughs> in front of David Stern, who was looking on, uh, looking Mortified. extremely, extremely disappointed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So uh, yeah, uh, Chicago security staff got involved. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get into all of that. Yeah. But yeah, the brawl was it was a total. I mean, the whole first half, the number of fouls that were called, I was just like, and you know, a lot of people, as we mentioned um, in the last episode, a lot of people would watch this game and and just just like you know furrow their brows and say, this is this is terrible, this is unwatchable, this is difficult uh, to view. Not me, Chris. The no. the more fouls, the more <laughs> physical play. I just couldn't get enough of it. I was like, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Like this is the this is the drug that I want in my veins right now. Yeah, it was just like the, the, just the, the pot, most like, disgusting simmering. pot is just like simmering on the stove, you know, and the water is just going to boil, like boil. Over yeah, the shit. water is boiling. Yeah. Uh, there's barely basketball being played at this point. Uh, it's just beautiful. It was yeah. just so like so glorious. Combat. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other overarching really thing that I just wanted to mention, and we'll get into the the specifics of the game with these players, but uh, at one point, you know, this game was called on TNT, and I want to talk about TNT for a sec at the top, but like the, the, the commentators on TNT, Hubie Brown, Hubie Brown and Ron Thulin mentioned yeah. um, that, uh, I guess, Pippen and Kukoc had been getting like a lot of heat in the press. Um, mm-hmm. with the Bulls in a 2-0 hole. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of, it's kind of funny to hear that now because of like how we regard them in history. Um, you know? Yeah. And the, the the idea that like the Chicago beat writers were calling them like, you know, like not choke artists, but uh, what was it? Oh, Kukoc, they were calling Kukoc a phony. Like the beat writers actually <laughs> wrote that uh that Kukoc was a phony um because the the bulls were in a 2-0 hole this is after you know granted after they had just won three the word phony what a what a fantastic insult right. phony <laughs> what does that mean this is after the bulls had just won three consecutive nba championships and yeah you know and, like and after losing the greatest basketball player in history yeah, in pursuit went on of to a win fourth title <laughs> yeah in and, pursuit of a fourth title 
uh, with with no uh, Michael Jordan, uh, still won fifty five games, only two fewer games than the previous Incredible. season with Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, re- reminder now, Michael Jordan was replaced on the roster by Pete, Pete Myers. Myers. <laughs> Pete Myers. Right. Other than that, no changes. Right. Uh, I mean, plus the addition of Tony Kukoc. But who, Kukoc um, was coming off the bench. I mean, granted, like he really blossomed into yeah. a kind of star role player i guess you would say kind of like a star yeah he was an, he was an important player as yeah. as we'll get to and he grew he like he really grew over the years but this was his rookie year with the bulls and like he you mm-hmm. know his role eventually when jordan would come back he became more and more of a, of a contributor but um you know like the point being is the bulls were pulling off like a herculean task here uh you know the fact that they were the third seed in the east without jordan you know speaks volumes about you know how good of a team they were and what phil jackson was getting out of these guys um Mm -hmm. all right so let's hop into some of the specifics here ben so again it's may 13th 1994 the knicks are visiting the bulls at the chicago stadium um they are uh they hold a commanding 2-0 series lead this game is on TNT, broadcast by uh, Hubie Brown and Ron Thulin. Um, yeah, Ron Thulin is the as the announcer. Hubie providing color commentary. Dude, did um, did you? I, I don't know if you had this experience at all, but I, I was like, wait, is that Mike Breen? Does he does have like a little bit of like young Breen in his voice? And then Ron I was like, Thulin, you mean? Yeah, yeah, it took, yeah, yeah, a little bit. It took me yeah, a he, sec. That's a name I had not, I had totally forgotten about. I didn't really remember him at all. I was yeah. just excited to to see that Hubie was on the call. But uh, yeah, no, Thulin was uh, he was he was good. He knew what he was doing on the mic. All right, so uh, the Knicks have a commanding two zero series lead. Um, man, I, first thought is just the Chicago stadium looked and felt different than the United Center. I forgot, mm-hmm. I forgot that they would eventually move into the United Center, I guess in what, 95? It was the following season, right? The following season, 94, 95, they, they moved to United Center, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, uh, again, just like watching the, uh, the, the pregame show at, at the beginning of the game here, like that, that old school TNT logo. I the love. following is a special presentation of TNT Sports. Where the NBA playoffs begin on April oh, yeah. 26th. TNT Sports, not not NBA on TNT or whatever it's called now, but TNT Sports. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Quote from Phil Jackson at the top of the game: <laughs> "We've we've got to play our style. We can't be a bud wrestling team." Yeah, classic Phil Jackson whining, trying to work the, work the work the refs in the media. Mud wrestling, comparing the Knicks to a mud wrestling team. Uh, fantastic. You, you you love to see it from Phil. Love uh, to see it. Doing, doing, doing what he does. So my initial thoughts were like, the Bulls came come out of the gate here playing really well and playing really aggressive. And I feel like the story of the first quarter, certainly the first half, is like the Knicks were in a lot of foul trouble. Um, and the Bulls yeah. were, and the and the Bulls were aggressive. Um, oh yeah, and this yeah, was there a, were a lot of fouls being called. Yeah, um, and a bunch of early, you know, first half. Push, pushing and shoving, like you know, f- three four minutes into the game, Charles Smith is, gets into a scuffle. It just kind of sets the tone, and mm-hmm. you can kind of see where the game is going, which is like they want Scotty to be aggressive. He drains a bank sh- a bank shot three from downtown in the first line. This is how it's going to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Scotty's coming out hot. BJ Armstrong also has a great first half. We talked about him last yep. episode. But yeah, he, he was uh, looking really aggressive, making jumpers, uh, 
you know, uh, um, you know, driving to the lane, all that stuff. So um, there's a play and, with like six at like the six minute mark, six fifty eight minute mark, I guess. In in the first quarter, Charles Smith is is a little chippy. So Charles Smith shoves Horace Grant battling for a rebound, and then Pippen trips Charles Smith running up the floor. Keep an eye on Charles Smith, fifty four. Now watch Pippen hits him in the chest. Smith just pushes him off. Now Grant and Pippen get in his face. Now, there will be a shot attempt at the basket. Now, keep an eye right at the bull. Now, right there, Smith pushes Pippen down. Now, Pippen trips him right there. So, as he goes down and hits the floor, this now carries over. Once Harper goes in, it takes a shot attempt. The referees call a double technical right now on Charles Smith and also on Pippen. And they both get double texts on on Charles Smith and Pippen. And it felt like that kind of like set the tone a little bit for how this was going to go, which is like, yeah. you know, the Knicks are going to try to get under their skin. The Bulls are going to stay aggressive, but they're not going to back down. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be pretty. Should we just jump ahead to yeah. the, the big moment from the first half? Sure. I mean, uh, one, one, one other thought before we get to that, though, is just that um, I think we, sh- we should talk about Bill Cartwright. Uh, Bill mm. Cartwright had... <laughs> A great first half, and man, like yeah, he scored like ten points in the first quarter. Is that right? Yeah, dude. I or think... was that in game? No, that, that was that was game. this game. That was this game. Yeah. Bill, so Bill Cartwright had. Let me pull it up. Bill Cartwright had ten points in the first half, and keep in mind that he had eight total points in games one and two. Yeah, and it sort of prompted me to look at his basketball at his basketball reference page because Hubie Brown makes a point of this at one point where he was like Hubie you know, Brown who calls him who calls him Billy, Billy. and of course was was oh his coach God. back in the day yeah. in the uh, in the early and mid eighties with the Knicks. Billy um, Cartwright, Billy Cartwright, yeah. So yeah, you could tell he had a real fondness for Billy, absolutely. which I don't, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Like for for uh, we're, I'll talk about this uh, again much later in this episode. But um, yeah, Billy. Anyway, yeah, there's there's something to Billy. My my opinion, frankly, has kind of changed about Billy after doing some more research about this game and its aftermath. But I'll get to that. Okay, you know the the guy like Cartwright. So he, I guess, was a real force coming out of the University of San Francisco. He was the third overall pick to the Knicks in 1979. And I guess he had four or five like massive operations on his feet over the course of his like mid to late 20s. And that kind of like really derailed his career. But before that, I mean, his rookie campaign with the Knicks in 79-80 averages 21 points, uh, almost nine rebounds, a couple of assists, a block and a half a game. Uh, the, the guy was like a real force, played 82 yeah, games. Yeah, he was, he was yeah. an all-star his rookie season. Named, yeah. named the All Star team in seventy nine eighty. Yeah, and his twenty one point seven points per game. His first five uh, seasons check out like he's you know an All Star center like could have potentially like it, it, if he kept up these numbers over the course of his career he would have been like a Hall of Famer potentially like he he was yeah. like a legit All Star center and then like I said these foot injuries really derailed his career but it does sort of like makes sense a little bit that he was the uh kryptonite for patrick you know what i mean mm-hmm, that like this mm-hmm. this is a guy that practiced with ewing all the time this is like he probably frankly taught ewing a lot of you know his post moves and stuff they were in practice together every day and yeah carrey was on the knicks for the first three years of patrick's career from from 85 86 until 87 88 right um and uh, yeah, I think he was basically um, 
So 85-86, Ewing's rookie year, Cartwright only played two games because he's still coming off this foot injury that kept him out um, the entirety of the previous season, 84-85. Um, uh, but then in 86-87, which is Ewing's second year, Cartwright's still starting 50 games yeah. uh, that season. So he and Ewing are kind of sharing um, you know, sort of starting center duties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as, as Ewing is kind of like his protege, I guess. Yeah, and Hubie says like when he was traded to the Bulls, he kind of made a conscious decision to sort of like take a smaller offensive role with the team. And he just understood that he was going to be playing less. This is kind of the twilight of his career. And I, I guess the injuries were really catching up to him at that point. But like mm-hmm. he was a legit player earlier in his career. And I don't think I really understood that until I like did some research here looking at uh, his basketball reference page. Um, yeah, his first five seasons before suffering that foot injury, he's a regular 55, 56% from the field yeah. and like 79, 78 uh, from the line, like a high percentage guy averaging 20 points, 15 points, 17 points. Um, you know, not like a monster rebounder, but like pretty capable on the glass, you know, always like a block a game. Uh, just very steady, yeah. Yeah, so this is some of like the teacher versus the student kind of thing with Ewing and Cartwright here. And it does like put that matchup in somewhat more like personal terms. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it rewatching it now, it's like, oh, wow, this is more interesting than I understood as like a 10-year-old kid watching this. This was like yeah. very, very personal for him, clearly. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, I mean, throughout the first first quarter, first half, the the Bulls are just throwing everything at Ewing, and Cartwright's having more success offensively. He puts in 10 points throughout the first, um, and the Knicks are kind of struggling. They are, you know, getting everything. Everything's getting called on them. They're just in foul trouble, and it just felt that for, that first quarter, that first quarter just felt forever. I mean, there was just so much stop and start at the foul. Yeah. you know, everything was getting called. And man, I got to say, like my stomach was just in knots watching that game, you know, because I knew <laughs> yeah. the Bulls needed it so badly. And as a Knicks fan, of course, like I'm, I just want them to finish this team off because I know, you know, anything is possible, obviously, with like a Hall of Fame player like Pippen on the court. Right. Well, that's the thing. Uh, you know, you you think of a 2-0 lead and you're like, oh, 2-0 lead, you know, you, you must be feeling pretty good. Mm-hmm. The Knicks had a 2-0 lead the previous year in 93 against the Bulls and then proceeded to lose four straight. Yep. Um, no, the Bulls so were playing that around, was man. Like, the very, Bulls... very fresh in my mind. I was like, a 2-0 lead does not mean anything against this team. Like, we need to finish them off because if we let them climb back like you know you could get into that like headspace where suddenly it's like oh god it's happening again i was extremely nervous throughout this entire game so with five minutes left in the second quarter the bulls are playing full court press on the knicks in the second yeah. quarter five minutes left in the second quarter they're playing <laughs> full court press and i was like playoff basketball jesus baby. christ this is this is really something here um, and then we should talk about the, the brawl. Yeah. So there's, um, I believe there's like a, uh, a foul into the basket. Horace Grant, I think goes up and gets fouled. Hopefully with position on Grant. Grant yeah, there's has- a whistle. Um, and the, I remember like the camera angle, like right when it happens is like below the basket. Um, you're sort of looking at the guys and then all of a sudden. Grant has to commit the foul. That is his second. And now we've got a play with Harper and Ingram. 
Ugly. Look out. Look out. Right in front of my. Look out. We've got everybody. We've got yeah. punches thrown. Ewing, Cartwright. It's right in front of us. And you're like, oh, shit. Um, so this is with about two minutes, 45 seconds left uh, to go in the second quarter. Uh, Derek Harper and Jojo English, who's a, um, a pretty unremarkable uh, backup guard um, on the Bulls. Uh, pretty sort of uh, inconsequential player, but he uh, he's getting some time because Pete Myers got into early foul trouble. He picked up like two or three early fouls. Um, so Jojo English is out there, and he's just jawing with Harper. They um, get into it. Words are clearly exchanged. Harper does the thing where he like brings his head like really really close to uh, to 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 English's head. Um, maybe gives him like a light headbutt, kind of like the uh, like the John Starks yeah. Reggie Miller uh, headbutt um, move. Um, English doesn't like that, you know, throws hands at him and Harper just fucking grabs him. And immediately the two men are just locked in, uh, with each other. Um, uh, English is, is basically like doing like a, like a bull rush move. Uh, Harper's backpedaling. And as he's backpedaling, uh, while holding English's torso, like gives him like a, like a, uh, little Irish whip, uh, like <laughs> over his hip, uh, slams him onto the, onto the court right along the, uh, the sideline, um, table, in right? the first, Yes, in the right in front of the scores table, all literally every other player on the team. Um, I mean, I don't know if this was there was no mention of like, uh, you know, I, I guess the I got being pe- being being penalized for coming off the bench so, that that rule wasn't put into place until later, right? So the NBA suspended Ron uh, Derek Harper for two games. They suspended English. Oh, for one. he didn't play. He didn't play the next game. No, they suspended. Ah, I did not realize they, that they suspended Derek Harper for two games and JoJo English for one game in the brawl. Then the NBA also fined eight more players from uh, from each team, and then outside of Harper and English for leaving the bench in the altercation. And then beginning the next season, the NBA began to enforce a one game suspension for any player who left the bench during an altercation. Basically, this brawl sort of began the, uh, the the policy of the NBA suspending people for leaving the bench. Interesting. Wow, I did not realize that. Um, uh, another a little amazing little historical uh, nugget there. So my trivia. question for you is, what do we think JoJo English could possibly have said to Derek Harper that made him flip I out mean, like you know, who knows? I'm sure something related to his family or something like that. Uh, or or maybe nothing at all. And Harper was just like, fuck this. I feel like fighting. Um, right. Which is uh, totally possible. Um, so, um, so yeah. So, the, the brawl happens. I don't know. Yeah, we mentioned it, uh, David Stern is sitting in, like, the fifth row, I think, or fourth row um, at midcourt. So, the entire thing is happening literally feet away from him. Um, and the camera's, like, constantly, like, like, cutting to him. And he just looks, like, just so... So sad, so bummed out. Um, uh, yeah, it takes you know five minutes to even separate the players. Uh, John Starks is like accosted by Chicago Stadium security personnel. Um, at some point, like at one point, he's just like getting manhandled by like yep. dudes in yellow jackets, yep. and it's like, wait, is that? I don't think you're, that's your job is it like you're Hubie brown I don't flips know, like, out he's like the security staff is pushing starts they're pushing <laughs> yeah him. now right behind us here we have starts down and the security staff is pushing john stark unbelievable hey what are they doing here the security staff unbelievable pushing john starks i don't believe that the security staff was doing that to john starks 
Um, yeah, it was wild. Um, and yeah, so uh, Harper and English get immediately ejected, um, but no other players suffer any uh, repercussions. So yeah, after a few minutes, everything's cleared up, and uh, Horace Grant goes to the line to shoot a couple free throws, um, and uh, everyone just kind of resumes play. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty crazy moment, which, uh, yeah, again, I'd completely forgotten uh, from my memory. Um, and it doesn't really result in, like, a major sort of, like, momentum shift. Like, the Knicks don't really use it. Although, um, oh, I did like that... Uh, yeah, a- after play resumes following the, the brawl, um, announcer Ron Thulin says... The Knicks feed off emotion, be it good or bad. <laughs> it was like, ah, so true, man, so true. So, uh, so yeah, the first half comes to a close. Uh, the Knicks are uh, down by 11 at the half. Right. Um, following that, uh, do you remember that, that crazy like circus shot uh, Starks, that uh, Starks, Starks threw in? flips up a shot at the rim and one. There's a great celebration by him with like 30 seconds left in the yeah, first half. Yeah, a little like, like finger pistols. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the finger pistols, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, I, so that was one one big takeaway about the first half is like Starks had some pretty heroic moments in the first. If if you can oh, say yeah. that for you know a game when they're leading the series two zero and it's just the first half, but it, it it already felt like this guy is just wearing his heart on his sleeve, doing everything possible to get the W for his team here. Yeah. Well, another thing that I didn't really remember is that John Starks was like pulling like like a. Uh, like a poor man's uh, James Harden. He was just feasting at the free throw line. Right. Um, you know, his his shooting from the, from the f- uh, field was never that efficient, but he got to the line 14 times in game three, uh, made 11 of them. At one point, I think he had only missed one free throw because um, he'd gone 11 of 11, of course, in game one. And then I'm not sure if he missed any free throws in game two. So at one point, the commentators were like, yeah, John Starks has only missed like two free throws this entire playoffs. Um because I guess he didn't get to the line that much or didn't miss any in the net series um, the previous round. But anyway, yeah, he was uh, just doing damage, uh, drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line, just remaining aggressive even though his, his shot wasn't falling. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that play at the end of the first half was was clutch because the Knicks could have been down by 14 at the half and instead they were down by 11. Um, and, um, however, the, it didn't really carry over into the third as the... Bulls uh, really just uh, increased their lead throughout the uh, throughout the third quarter. Yeah. So at one point, the Knicks. I mean, it it just felt like it. The margin just kept ballooning. Uh, You know, at one point, the Knicks were trailing by, I guess, eighteen points with five minutes left in the third. Was there a moment here where kind of the tide swings for you? I mean, not until not not during the third. the The Bulls are up by uh, let's see, they're up by seventeen points with like two minutes forty seconds left. Um, oh, there's a play where uh, uh, there's a fast, a four on two fast break. Scott Williams goes up with it and gets absolutely hammered by uh, Corey Gaines. Remember Corey Gaines? Oh, God, yeah. That was that was a name that I'd completely forgotten about. Um, and he wasn't getting any playing time, but because of Harper's ejection um, and the fact that the Knicks, I guess they didn't. I mean, they had Greg Anthony, but other than that, they really didn't have any ball handlers like Starks was playing a little bit of point guard when they needed him to but Corey Gaines got a surprising amount of tick in this game for a guy that was um really not a uh, a very you know normally a, a a heavily relied on player yeah in fact I looked up I did a little <laughs> research on Corey Gaines 
I'm going to have to send you. Dude, he's running around on my screen right now. I'm just like playing this silently in the background. I'm like, wow, look at that guy. I kind of forgot he was on the team. Yeah, yeah. He he uh, came from uh, Loyola, Loyola Marymount. Um, in fact, wait, was he on the team with uh, with Bo Kimball? Wow, I was just going to say, like the... he looked like he could have been like a friend of Bo Kimball's or Hank Gathers or something, yeah. Oh, no, it was Hank Gathers I'm thinking of, sorry. Um but yeah, that was the same school, right? Mm-hmm. Was that Loyola? Yeah, Loyola. Yeah. Um, but uh, reading down Corey Gaines's career history on Wikipedia, just real quick, I want to I want to read you some of these uh, some of these names because this was like astounding. I've never seen a, a, a player's uh, career history quite like this. Uh, so in eighty eight eighty nine, Corey Gaines is playing for the Quad City Thunder. Nineteen eighty nine, New Jersey Nets. Nineteen eighty nine, also Calgary eighty eights. 89-90, the Omaha Racers. In 1990, he puts in some time with the Philadelphia 76ers. What? Also, also 1990, Omaha Racers again. Also 1990, Denver Nuggets. 90-91, so still in 1990, he goes to the Yakima Sun Kings, um, which is a team in the CBA, I guess. Um, uh, and then 91-92, uh, the, the Sioux Falls Sky Force, Great names, incredible names. Uh, another CBA team, I believe. Uh, then 1992, the Montreal Dragons. 92-93, back to the Yakima Sun Kings. 1993, the Lacrosse Catbirds. Don't know who they are. 93-94, New York Knicks. 94-95, Scavolino Passero, which is uh, an Italian basketball club. 95, back to the Sixers. 95-96, Galatasaray, which is a Turkish club. 1996, also, Mash J. Verona, another Italian team. 96-97, an Israeli team called Hapol Eilat. 97-98, 97-98, Japan Energy Griffins. Oh, I love the Energy Griffins. Uh, 99-2000, Maccabi Rishon Lezion, another Israeli club. 2000-2003, um, Maccabi Haifa. And then finishes up his career in 0304 with the Long Beach Jam. Dude, that sounds like, what is that, like a minor league catcher that just like bounced around? That, that is insane. Like, I mean, obviously when you're like a journeyman, you know, you you bounce around, you go to different leagues, you know, you take any work you can get. But like, he's playing for like four different like teams a year for that like is the definition 14 of straight around. years oh my god what a grinder yeah. that's amazing man. so fucking respect to Corey yeah, Gaines dude. um and it just happened that in 1994 he played uh <laughs> let's see here he played 15 minutes in a very crucial playoff basketball game for the New York Knicks amazing um yeah so anyway Corey Gaines gets a flagrant foul on uh on Scott Williams uh hammers him to the floor um i mean you know even even though he was only on the team for a year he definitely like got the the next ethos you know yeah for uh, sure. He, he played with real real grit and grind um so then yeah the bulls increased the lead to 20 uh with two minutes left with a minute 14 left in the third the lead is 22 points yep. that would be the the biggest lead the bulls had a 22 point lead with a minute left in the third quarter um, the, uh, the, the Knicks are able to pull it to, uh, 19, uh, after three, um, after a, uh, Mason like saves like a bad pass in traffic and, um, and puts in like a contested layup with a second left, um, in the third. Um, so yeah, 19 point game going into the fourth quarter. 
Um, at one point, uh, Ron Thulin, uh, uh, right like in the first minute of the, of the fourth, Knicks are down by 20, and Thulin says, quote, this may be too deep a hole for the Knicks, right. but they do have a lot of time left. Um, and yeah, I, I have in my notes here, uh, like just one minute into the fourth, you could sense the Knicks yes. defense tightening. Yes. Like they were, they were like, like a, okay, there, we're going to make one big push here. There does feel like a cat and mouse game that's happening between Hubie and Thulin, where Thulin's like, I think this is it. I think this is all that, you know, like, I think this is all the Knicks can handle. And then, and then Hubie's, Hubie's like the cautionary guy. He's like, don't be so sure now. Like these, mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. Knicks, they can get right back in it. And yeah, yeah, I love that little partner partnership they have. Yeah. Where, yeah, yeah. So start of the fourth, they're in the hole. You're just waiting for the Knicks to get back in it. They're, they start clamping down, and for me, the play where it felt like the tide was turning. I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but it's that Mason dunk and one with uh, where where he cuts it to an 11 point game with eight minutes left. Um, oh yeah okay so that is absolutely i have that here in my notes so that play it's not just that play there's a whole mason has a whole uh sequence here yeah that i want to go through stuff let's do it step by step um so it's a 14 point game with about nine minutes Mm -hmm. um and you can almost sense the crowd like getting anxious even though the bulls are up 14 yeah um they know something's uh, about to go wrong (laughs) Yeah, just prior to that, there was a, a really sweet play where Starks um, got a big, like, offensive uh, tip-in off, uh, like, Corey Gaines drives in, misses a layup, uh, and Starks follows it up with, like, he almost, like, tip-dunks it with one hand, but he just, like, kind of, like, barely, like, tips it over the rim. Um, and um, and then, uh, oh, and then Scott Williams gets teed up for mouthing off at Herb Williams, <laughs> uh, which I love after Williams uh, also fouled. Scott Williams was getting abused, just physically uh, manhandled in this game. Um, so uh, Williams gets teed up. Uh, Starks hits the tee uh, to, uh, to pull it to 14. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Ewing checks back in with just under nine minutes to go. And then Starks drives, uh, makes an aggressive drive, and then dishes to Mason, uh, who goes up real strong, gets nailed. He almost dunks it with one hand, but he he gets hit so hard that the ball kind of like falls out of his hand, like as he's dunking it, but it still drops, um, and the foul. Working around to Starks, has to give it up inside. Mason is fouled, oh, and it goes! See, they have life now. See, they're smelling it. They, they've had the confidence because of games one and two, making up the big deficit. Uh, he hits the free throw, so it's an 11-point game. Then, right after that, the very next possession from the Bulls, um, Mason is guarding Pippen. All right now we have Mason on Pippen. Bulls have scored only one point in this quarter. Shot clock at four. Pippen has to launch the three. Didn't even draw iron. My God, we have to talk about it, and this would be uh, true for the entire quarter, but Anthony Mason's defense on Scottie Pippen yeah. was just, just was incredible. stonewalling him, man. Yeah. I think Pippen shot one of four for the entire quarter, and this was after scoring like 25 points, I think, through the first three. Uh, and, you know, obviously, Scottie Pippen, we've talked about how <laughs> incredibly gifted he was. Um, no, uh, no need to... Uh, kind of, you know, rehash that. Um, Very good. Very good at basketball, Scottie Pippen. Anthony Mason just shuts him down, just completely shuts him down. So after his three-point play, uh, Mason is is just in in Pippen's jersey, uh, forces Pippen into a bricking uh, three-pointer off the glass. 
Then um, he gets the ball down on the other end, and I don't know if you remember this, but he like kind of has the ball in the paint, and he ha- and he like throws this bounce pass kind of over his hip, like almost like. It's not like oh, a yes. um, yeah, dude. Yeah. It wasn't like quite a behind the back pass, but it was like he's like got the ball and he throws it. Um, he kind of like passes it to Patrick Ewing, who is standing in back of him. So he like yes, barely dude, saw him like his over hip. his shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah across yeah. his hip, yep. a bounce pass across his hip, and not just to Ewing, but into like a an open space that leads Ewing yeah. into an opening. Mason. Now it's a nine-point game, 7.35 left. Phil Jackson exactly. like, immediately gets timeout up. Timeout Chicago. He pops up yep. off the bench, calls timeout, and he looks calls like timeout. furious. Calls timeout. Knicks run an, 11, an 11-0 run yeah. to cut it to nine. Um, and that sequence of, of the and one, the defense on Pippen, yep. and then that fucking beautiful the, the assist to Ewing. Yeah. I was just like, holy shit, Anthony Mason. Yeah, this is I mean, it. we've been texting about him, like, basically all week, how he really was, like, the secret weapon. Like, he was kind of the linchpin. Like, obviously, like, you know, Ewing did what he did. That was, you know, he was the leader. Um, but but outside of Ewing, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Starks would have his great moments. Obviously, Oakley was, uh, was you know, totally critical. But Mason did so many things um, in such a, like, subtle way uh that it was just like so critical i mean i think he played the entire fourth quarter um and as we talked about last episode you know he wasn't a starter he was always brought off the bench by pat riley yeah um but always closed the game in fact he would play like the majority of second halves right. um because he was just so so critical yeah um, i mean that 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 play specifically that that where that run right there but from mason's uh n1 with the dunk the stopping Pippen on defense, and then the next offensive sequence at the other end of the floor, um, finding Patrick to cut it to, uh, to 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 make it a nine point game with seven thirty five. That felt like the moment where everyone was like, "Oh shit, this is everything's changing." Like everyone, yeah. everyone knew that like this was going to be a very close game. Into, yeah, into Ron the Ron Thulin says, "Here come the Knicks." Right, uh, with about seven minutes left in the in the fourth. Yeah, the thing about that yeah, play that... with Mason, where he finds Ewing, is that like the fact is that like he sucks the defense into the paint, right? Like so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so he drew Longley... he drew Luke Longley. That's right. It wasn't just a pass. He oh, did man. a ball fake. Right. He did a ball fake first to draw Luke Longley over to him to create the space. Exactly. And then passed it into like led Ewing into the space. Now right here. This is where Mason has done all of his damage, in the lane. So you see Luke Longley is conscious. He leaves Ewing. Ewing makes a move, opens up, and it's in your heart. See, because Mason now finds Ewing, and that is his pet shot. All through games one and two, Mason's production magnified in the lane in the fourth quarter. They were playing inside out, basically, with Mason in the paint and Patrick on the block, right? Right. And it speaks volumes to, to Mason, the fact that he was able to draw Longley away from Patrick into the post because, you know, and to double team Mason and he finds Patrick wide open right on the block who hits that, you know, that, that jumper right there to, to make it a nine point game. Um, yeah, man, that, that definitely felt like a turning point, uh, where things began to, to, to swing, you know, momentum wise yeah. in the other direction. 
Yeah, I have in my notes here with seven minutes left in the in the quarter. So the five minutes have been played, and the Bulls are zero of six with one point in the entire quarter in all in in the first five minutes. Um, finally, Bill Cartwright breaks the spell, makes a little uh, um, uh, you know basket in the paint, um, and right. then the the Bulls' offense kind of like wakes wakes back up again. Um, but uh, but yeah, the Knicks keep coming. Um, yeah, Corey Gaines, I have here in my notes, getting a lot of fourth quarter tick. He's like still out there midway through the fourth. Ewing makes a, a bucket in, in traffic to pull within 10 with five minutes to go. Wait, so there was another play. So after after that, uh, what, just while we're on the topic of Mason, so after mm-hmm. after that uh, that play where he finds Patrick, the Bulls, you know, the Bulls call timeout. They go the other way. Oh, you're right. They can't convert. Yeah, the- the, the Knicks come down the court, and Mason has a putback to cut it to a seven-point game. Mason can't get it. Ewing lost the handle. The return by Mason. And here come the Knicks. That's right. That's right. I mean, he's just yeah, there, there was like three offensive rebounds in a row. Yeah, he um, cleans up Patrick's miss and uh, right. and puts it back in to cut it to a seven-point game. He And so Mason, Mason just emerges as a star here in the fourth quarter. And Yeah, I forgot to mention that that was part of the same little sequence, sequence where right. it's just... Where it's like Everything, very like clearly defense, like, oh, offense, offensive rebounding, passing. This guy like, is like changing the whole game on both ends of the floor. He's stopping yeah. Pippen, and and he's like the offensive creator for this team. He's he's finding the open man. He's hitting shots. He's cleaning up on the glass. He's doing everything. Yeah, yeah, really, really, just incredible. Just so relentless too. Just like like you talk about. Um, you know, I keep thinking of of that Draymond Green comparison that you that you made uh, right. last episode. And it's like stuck in my head because it's so just, I, it never occurred to me. But like this, this the same like kind of like motor of energy. and energy, yeah, yeah, where it's just relentless. Where you're just like, oh my god, like this guy just keeps coming and coming. And he doesn't care um, which end of the floor he's doing it on because either way mm-hmm. he's gonna have he's gonna win the game either offensively or defensively. But either way he's yeah. gonna change the game, you know, for the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so moving ahead here, let's see. Uh, we're getting down to it now. There's like four minutes left. The Bulls started the quarter. For six and have made four of their last five shots. Dark. Oh, my goodness. Is he a bandit or what? You talk about a guy with courage. This guy will launch him and no conscience. Um, uh, Starks nailed a contested uh, three. A dagger, um, a dagger with 3.45 yeah. left, yeah. Yep, exactly, to pull it to a, an eight-point game. Oh, the, then Mason comes down again. Again, like the ball, at one point, uh, I think after that Starks three, Mason's coming down, and he's le- and he's leading the break. He's, like, dribbling with, like, a, like a tight handle to find a, a wide-open Oakley. Oakley left alone from 19, and he buries the shot. Cut to six. Um, and then again, like I just keep writing my notes over and over again. Mason's defense on Pippen, um, yes, like it's just crazy. Um, the Knicks are uh, 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 on a twenty-two-nine run uh, for the in the quarter. Then let's see, BJ Armstrong hits a little dagger jumper to put it back to eight. Uh, Ewing answers with like a uh, a sick little uh, baseline spin move and, oh, and a jumper along the baseline. Um, uh, Armstrong uh, hits a foul uh, foul yes, shot yes, after yes, uh, yes, yes. drawing a foul on Ewing, and then with a minute forty, Ewing puts the shoulder down, oh, takes God. the jumper, and Bill Cartwright just shook his head. Well, oh, you have to. That was a prime time shot. Twenty eight for Ewing, ten in the fourth. 
Yeah, Ewing puts the shoulder in and hits the fall away over Cartwright. Oh my God, man! That would yeah. that I feels mean, Patrick like, Ewing. That feels like one of the signature Patrick Ewing moment moves that will like be enshrined in the Hall of Fame, where it's like that. Right. Like you could make a statue out of his pose, hanging that you know that that jumper right there. Yep, yep. The fall away yep. off one foot. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I, I know like Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki gets all the uh, credit for the for the one footed fall away. No but man, that was Patrick's move. Yeah, it, it totally was. <laughs> we all know that the real the real heads know. Um, uh, oh, and then we've got so just following that, we've got uh, the John Starks diving for the ball yep. um, gets gets called for a kind of a bullshit foul after he dives under Pete Myers. And then he pulls like the classic outrage face. Starks. Do you remember yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the reaction, the reaction from course. Starks after yeah. he gets called for yeah. that loose ball foul yeah. with the like, like just what? Ins- How could you? Ins- me? Ins- yeah, insane yeah. emotion with the open, the upturned open palms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, and then, yeah, so I mean, at this point, Patrick Ewing has scored the last like three or at least the last two baskets. Um, with one minute to go, he gets it inside again for a contested uh, layup inside uh, to cut it to four. And then uh, no, oh, and then with, uh, yeah, under a minute now, yeah. Ewing again. And, they, of course, the Knicks just keep getting stops on defense. And then Ewing has that move where he, he has it basically on the three-point line. Ewing's hit a three in game two. He's going to take it inside. Count it. It's a two-point ball game. Plus, the Knicks are going to get this ball back with time. Yep. Like kind of pump fakes, attacks a closeout, yep. and makes Drives. like an amazing driving Incredible. layup to cut it to two. He was just like busting out like all these moves, like yeah. left and right, just feasting. Like the, the Bulls just like couldn't out. stop him. No, no, no. Jackson called the timeout. So the out. Bulls, the Bulls bring it up, realize they don't really know what they're doing. So they they now have the ball, but they have um, seventeen uh, seconds left. It's right. There's a five different sh- uh, uh, five second difference between. Uh, game clock and shot clock so they know that they uh you know they need a good final shot but they're not going to have the last shot of the game so jackson calls a 20 second timeout with 18 seconds left um and the play that he draws up now this is very important (laughs) very important uh so the play that he draws up is basically going to be an iso clear out for scotty pippen bulls led by as many as 22 they led by 19 coming into this fourth quarter but they've only scored 13 points and it is a two-point advantage now for chicago big factor here you have 13 seconds on the shot clock who coaches now in the game and so is turf so you're going with two perimeter guys now, what you also must remember, the Knicks have one timeout remaining. Big thing, I cannot believe that Scottie Pippen is not going to be involved here with something off of penetration. So Pippen gets the ball. Mason is Ding him up just one-on-one. Pippen versus Mason. The Knicks double-team Pippen. All right, they're going 1-4 right now, looking for the spot up off the dribble. The clock is at 6. Pippen with three on the shot clock. He's not going to get a good shot off. 2-1. No, they're going to call a violation. That is a shot clock violation. The Knicks with one timeout left have a chance to tie the basketball game and win it with a three. And Mason just completely fucking shuts him down. Um, However, it's something that I did not realize uh, upon my first viewing of this play, Chris, Mm. was that one of the reasons that... Scotty Pippen yep. could not get a good shot or drive uh, down an open path uh, towards the basket during that play 
was because of Tony Kukoc. Kukoc. Right. Because Tony Kukoc was standing in the on the same side of the court yep. in the corner. Right. Um, and Scotty Pippen, despite waving his hand to try to Clear out. signal to Kukoc to get the fuck out of his way. Right. Because he had the ball and he was going to try to score. He wants to take Kukoc Mason just one-on-one stood there. in an empty half of the court. And Kukoc yeah. is, in the co- is in the corner basically fucking his spacing up. Yeah, Kukoc, guarded by uh, Oakley, I believe, at that point, um, is just standing there so that, you know, there's easy help defense right, right. there. Um, but, I mean, we have to talk about Mason just does an incredible job, just stays in front in of Pippen. Jersey. In his jersey. Yeah, completely in his jersey. And so, so Pippen that basically has to settle for a long three. That's Pippen contested. gets nothing. He makes no progress whatsoever. Right. He has to pull up and heave up this ugly uh, three-pointer as the shot clock expires. The ball does not even touch rim, so the shot clock uh, buzzes, shot clock violation, Nick's ball, 5.5 seconds left. And you could see Pippen as he's walking toward the other end of the court, screaming at Kukoc, waving his hand, get get away from there, I needed you out of there. And yeah, so at yeah. this point, and Kukoc is just like, "What are you talking about?" At this point, there's a great a great quote that Kukoc gives about that play later on that we'll get to. Oh, but okay. Just great. a little, just a little foreshadowing there. Yeah. yeah, that play. I mean, it was like mostly because of Mason's defense, but uh, Kukoc like absolutely like blew it up, um, and uh, and and Pippen knew it. Now, so a really important moment here is there are. Um, so the refs reset the clock after Scotty misses the three. Oh, that's right. He flips Phil Jackson out. is not happy about that. So there's a timeout called. I, I'm assuming the timeout's by Riley or is it by Jackson? To to I think by Riley. Okay, to so set, yeah, set up the play. The, re, the refs reset the clock. They put an extra second back on the clock. The Knicks get the final possession. So there should be 4.2 seconds left after yeah. Scotty's miss. But the refs put an when extra they show the replay, it's on. clear that the refs kind of fucked up. Right. They definitely put too much time back. So on. they put 5.5 seconds back on the clock. <laughs> 102, 100, 5.5 left. Phil Jackson is upset of the time left. He thought it should be less than he has a feet. Well, as the ball is shot and it ricochets off the board, the shot clock went off. It's definitely under 5.5 seconds. Keep an eye on this now. The ball is going to go up high and it's going to hit. You cannot see the red light. See? And they call 24. See, it was inside of five seconds. Now, this is critical here. They have a long time. The Knicks come out of the timeout. They drop a play for who else but Patrick. You know that they want to try to get Ewing in this play. And start. There's Ewing. Ewing for the tie. He's got it with 1.8 left. So they find Patrick in the low block who just hits an incredible scoop skyhook jumper in the paint. Um, yeah, just the classic away. sweeping, sweeping across the lane, the classic uh, Ewing move. Um, you know, just like his his go to, like just almost unguardable, big yep. sweeping hook across the lane. Um, Falling puts it up, down, you know, four four five feet away from the from the hoop, swishes it through. Yep. So now, yep, we have a tie game. One point eight seconds left. One point eight uh, seconds. Chicago calls a timeout. Well, first they call. It's kind of confusing because so I think under two minutes, a team gets three. T- like Hubie Brown was like trying to explain it, but like it wasn't totally clear. Under two minutes back then, I guess a team gets reset, so they get three timeouts. Um, and at first, it looks like they inbounded the ball and then called a timeout. Um, 
which was weird. Yeah. Like Scotty was like calling for the ball, and like, it was unclear and, to me if they were going to try to rush the ball up the court to get a shot off, or right. or, or call a timeout. Yeah. Can you believe what just happened? I cannot Ryan's believe. inbound that ball to Scotty Pippen with 1.8 seconds to go. Rather than call a timeout when you had three timeouts remaining, unbelievable. But the thing is that if they if they had inbounded first and called a timeout after the ball was in play, they would have had to take it back at, at in the backcourt, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, whatever. Maybe they, they ruled that the timeout was actually called while the ball was still out of bounds. So um, the Bulls get it uh, at, at midcourt to inbound, like, you know, at the, whatever, at the hash mark um, um, in the, in the frontcourt. Um, all right. So let's talk about the play that the Bulls draw uh, coming out of the timeout. So... Uh, or let's just talk about the whole incident. So uh, <laughs> the incident. Yeah, <laughs> we're finally we're one hour in, and here we are. We've gotten to the incident, the defining incident of it's crazy. this game. You know, it's crazy to me, Ben. Like um, the uh, when we do one of these podcasts, I always went. You know, like creating like the episode art or whatever. I always try to like think of the iconic like moment from the game like what would be the, mm-hmm. the image from this game that would kind of like sum it up what was like the incident of the game what was like the biggest moment of the game it's hard for sure. me to imagine that the image of this game would not be Derek Harper swinging at Jojo English and mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy that this is act that there was actually a moment bigger than that and that was the Tony Kukoc shot my question is, Chris, is the image going to be Tony Kukoc putting up the shot, or is it going to be Scottie Pippen sitting on the bench? Which is more iconic? iconic. <laughs> I mean, they're both. I mean, both huge, man. Both huge. Um, yeah. So let's talk. I about mean, by what? now we shouldn't. Yeah. Um, it it should be pretty clear to anyone who's listening at this point. Um, if it if it's not already. Um, for the final play of a very very critical. Uh, playoff basketball game that the Bulls absolutely had to win. If they lose this game, they go down 3-0. The series is effectively over. This, of course, is you know the defining year, um, some would say, of, of Scottie Pippen's career coming out of the shadow uh, of Michael Jordan, emerging as the team's leader, alpha dog. Um, he was the all-star game MVP that season. Um, you know, he just played uh, fantastically. Um, and uh, this, was, this was his moment. But for some reason, Chris, Scottie Pippen was not on the floor for the final shot. Oh, yeah. First, there's a fucking interruption by uh, by Ernie Johnson back in the studio. We should point like, out. Right, I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you, like <laughs> just get back in the arena. Back in the <laughs> He's day. He's giving us an update about the Suns-Rockets game. Dude, back, I have so many observations specifically about TNT. <laughs> but one of the incredible <laughs> things is that back in the day, they when they would throw it back to the to the in-game announcers like they were they Ernie Johnson was in the studio in Atlanta literally watching the game on a tube TV. Oh yeah, he just had a TV next to him. <laughs> it, yeah. Specifically like it is a like bulbous like tube TV <laughs> that would basically be at like your in your grandfather's like basement. Yeah, yeah, we're talking we're talking 4-3 here folks. This is not this is not the widescreen days just That's yet. right. Uh, so this is kind of an epic call that I'll drop in to the podcast, but I think for yeah. our sake, it, it would behoove us just to watch the final play with, with sound. If you have a cue up there. Ernie, our story, Chicago led by eight with 221 to go, but New York has outscored him 10-2 since then. 1.8 left, no timeouts left for the Bulls. Myers triggers the inbounds pass. Kukos for the win. 
Such a perfect swish, yeah. you know, the, the kind of swish where the net actually curls back up over the rim because yep. it gets swished so hard. It's, it's also um, just like an iconic call, like the, the announcing, like everything mm-hmm. is out. It, it goes! So, it's yeah. yeah. It's, it's, and just like the way that like he's like swinging his fist like triumphantly in the air after it goes in, the whole thing. It felt to me, mm-hmm. honestly, very sort of Christian Leitner-y. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Oh, very Christian Leitner. Like yeah, almost the same spot on the floor. Yeah, the yeah. spot on the floor, this kind of high-floating cat, like that, the, the entry pass, yep. this high-floating arcing thing. Big, big, tall white guy big, just catching and flinging a turning, six turn around. 6'11", white guy catches perfect, it. Perfect swish. Turns, fades, throws it up, swish. And he, I had the same thought. It was extremely Christian Leitner. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. um, and so, you know, just like an iconic, iconic moment from um, this series. The you know, the Bulls are back in the series now. They're they're trailing two games to one, and yeah. it's funny. Like they walked off the court, and you would never know any of the drama had unfolded until the post game when you kind of learn, right. That's like, what I love. Is that weird. it was like, only like Scottie Pippen wasn't in the game. That was strange. Y- yeah, like yeah, it was this post mortem investigation that took place where right. suddenly, you know, you saw Kukoc celebrate. Obviously, he's jubilant. He looks triumphant, and then Phil Jackson walks by, and Phil Jackson just looks stoic, just totally stone faced, and you're like. Huh, that's weird. That's he doesn't weird. seem yeah. that happy. So, and of course, Scottie Pippen is nowhere to be seen. And then after the game, everyone's like, "Wait, what? Yeah, happened there the, exactly?" There are two like really interesting moments now watching this game in hindsight. Where so, do you remember the moment where you're like, "Ernie Johnson, get off my TV!" You know, like I, I just wanted <laughs> to see that play out of the timeout. The split yeah. second before that, when they're like coming at a commercial break you can see phil jackson drawing up a play and mm-hmm. he seems to you can't tell exactly who he's speaking to but he seems to be like really imploring someone yep. sitting down. yeah right before they cut right yes. before they cut to the break i, right. I see yeah his head's like like kind of like wildly going back and forth but you don't see who he's talking to he someone sitting to sitting down who's blocked a very animated conversation it appears to be with one of his players who's sitting mm-hmm. and he's holding mm-hmm. his whiteboard like he's just drawn up a play so it's like that's interesting like i'm gonna i'm gonna earmark that one in the back of my brain like I wonder who he was talking to there what what that was all mm-hmm. about and then when he's walking off the court like you said after kukoc has hit the shot he is extremely stoic borderline like angry and mm-hmm. it's like that's really weird. Like his team just hit this major, you know, like shot there. They're suddenly catapulted back into the series. Like you'd think he'd be a little bit more excited and mm-hmm. just again, file that away. Like that's, that, that's kind of strange. I wonder what was going on there. And then you hear in the post game pref- press conference, Phil Jackson explains that uh, Scotty Pippen took himself out of the game and uh, it's just, it was shocking, man. The whole, the whole thing, how it all unfolded. So they show a clip of the, of the post-game presser. Phil Jackson says simply, Now, as far as the last play of the game goes, um, Scottie Pippen was not involved in that play. He asked out of the play. I left him off the floor. Um, that's as much as I'll talk about that. And we have practice tomorrow at 11 o'clock. Same. Stands up, walks away, and then then they have interviews with Scotty back in the locker room. It wasn't um, pretty much Phil taking me out of the game. It was like uh, you know 
seat. We exchanged words, and I just took a seat. So it was your Scott, decision based on frustration. Excuse me. Scotty, Phil just said you weren't in because you asked out of the play. Yeah, pretty much. Where you weren't in involved in it. Exactly. When you say exchange words, what happened? I have no comments on that. And I remember this so clearly. I'm, I I want to say that in my memory, they showed this on, I guess at that point, like TNT like cuts out their broadcast like right after the game ends. Right. But I have to imagine I tuned to MSG Network um, right after the game because I think they, even for games they couldn't broadcast because they were national, they would have like post-game content. Yeah. And I and I want to say I saw all this stuff directly after the game that night because I remember like talking about it with my dad and like breaking down yeah, like I remember, the psychological like emotional implications of like everything that had happened. It was pretty like, immediately that very night. available that we knew something that that whole thing had happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting, man. Like I feel like in the social media age today, like all of that stuff would be oh, so dude. Can you, instantaneous. Yeah. But I have Can to you say, imagine Twitter existing sure. with, with this moment? Sure. But for nineteen ninety four, um, that information became publicly available pretty freaking quickly. Mm-hmm. Good point. There was a lot of like really good reporting that was done very quickly. But anyway, enough beating around it. What actually happened was Phil Jackson drew up the play, the final shot. Not for his star player, not for his leader, Scotty Pippen, but for Tony Kukoc. Um, and Scotty Pippen was so uh, upset by this decision that he said, okay, I'm not going to even go on the court. Um, and after some pleading, I guess, some words exchanged between Jackson and Pippen, uh, Scotty uh, stood up and walked to the very end of the bench, sat himself down. And and Phil Jackson had to substitute in who else but Pete Myers. <laughs> Pete Myers becoming not just Michael Jordan's substitute, but also Scottie Pippen's substitute in one of the biggest moments of the season. Uh, so, so like, uh, sorry, just in the comparison we made before, it was Grant Hill that threw the entry pass to Christian Leitner, right? Oh, yeah. Base, yeah, 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 you're right. That the full, baseball, the full court entry that pass. baseball yep. style pass, which frankly yeah, is probably as impressive, if not more impressive than the shot itself. Oh, yeah. And yeah, like yeah. we can say something similar probably about Pete Myers. Like that pass is as critical and as, as important as Kukoc's, as Kukoc's shot. And it's just sort yeah. of like... It was just fate that Pippen took himself out of the game and gave Pete Myers the chance to make that pass. Yeah. So I'm going to send you another clip. I just texted you another clip um, that I discovered on YouTube. Um, that's like some like sh- like local Chicago news broadcast, I guess. Um, but they had some extra um, uh, interview content with Phil Jackson. Scotty chose not to go on the court last night for his own specific reason. I put in a better passer in Pete Myers. Besides, Scotty had a fat lip and looked ugly at that spot. And we got the job accomplished, and that's all that matters to us right now. Holy shit. I put in a better passer, Pete Myers. Phil clearly just trolling Pippen at this point, um, saying uh, to the press that he put in a better passer, Pete Myers, and then saying, Scotty, I believe the exact quote was, Scotty had a fat lip and looked ugly in that spot. Jesus. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? I have to play that back again. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, right after the Pete Myers comment, listen to what he says. Because I remember in the in the post-game press conference... He did have a fat lip. Um, I... He had a fat lip. And I remember being like, ooh. And he kept like kind of like curling his lips uh, in and like trying to like hide it. Like he was very like self-conscious about it. This is uh, Pippen. Scotty chose not to go on the court last night for his own specific reason. I put in a better passer in Pete Myers. 
Besides, Scotty had a fat lip and looked ugly at that spot. Oh my God, he did say he had a fat <laughs> right? lip and I looked just, ugly like, make that in up. that spot. Yeah. He decided not to go on the court for his own specific reason. Yeah. So should we get into that specific reason a little bit? And now yeah. we ha- I, there's a little bit more backstory. Well, so first of all, all right, let's get into... I mean, God, like, do you, did you, do you remember, like, watching this game as a kid? Like, do you remember, like, reacting to it? Yeah, I do remember watching the game as a kid. Um, I, I, I remember, obviously, the ending was devastating, but also, I, it's sort of a wash. The whole thing is sort of a wash just in, like, right. that the Knicks wound up winning the series in very dramatic fashion. So, you sort of, like... Sure, that. Yeah. But even at the at the time, you know, before you knew the outcome of the series, I just remember like thinking and like staying up and like and like uh, like analyzing with my dad and being like, okay, we lost that game. Like that was a heartbreaker. But like the Bulls must be like wrecked. Like that was like the tr- like the trauma, like the psychological like turmoil that that team must be in now. Like there's no way they can recover from that, right, Dad? Right, Dad? <laughs> and I kept being like like trying to convince myself, like obviously just to like make myself feel better after like such a heartbreak loss and like a 22 point comeback and Patrick Ewing's heroics like um I mean when the shot fell by Kukoc I was just devastated but then immediately I was like oh no wait this is this is gonna be okay because I don't think I think the Bulls are like gonna be fucked up by this um once I like realized what had happened um wow I mean yeah some of the uh some of the post-game comments uh Bill Cartwright, who I want to talk about a little bit uh, more yeah. in, a, in a minute, but uh, he said, quote, uh, when he was questioned about it, why are you asking me Scotty questions? Um, BJ Armstrong said, all I know is the play was called for Tony and I ran the play the way it was called. It was a good win for us. I just want to focus on the positive and go on to Sunday. Meanwhile, Kukoc said, quote, I think Scotty was hurt or something. <laughs> Wait, what was with his fat lip? Uh, he, you know, probably just like been elbowed by somebody, you know, who knows at some point during the course of the game. Um, uh, I, I would have to imagine, I mean, unless he got it, I don't know, like, unless there was like something that happened in the locker room afterward, but there was a lot of locker room drama. Um, yeah, I, because Phil Jackson said he had a fat lip and he looked ugly and didn't want to go out. You know, like he, he was implying that the reason he didn't want to run the play was because he had a fat lip and looked bad. Oh, right. That's right. So it was so probably like it, it ha- was happened during the game. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Um, but there was a lot of locker room drama following the game, uh, specifically from Bill Cartwright. So there's this incredible article I found um, from that um, was written a little bit after the fact in October of 1994 in the Chicago Tribune. The headline is uh, Famous Pippin Pout Played Its Part in Bulls Transition. Um, there's some details here um, about... Uh, just like some some really really incredible rich reporting here. Um, so one of the uh, it says in this article that one of the reasons why Pippen was so upset wasn't just because he didn't get the last shot called for him, but because he wasn't even going to be an option on the play. Because as you remember, Pete Myers was the guy who inbounds the ball. Right. That was going to be Scotty's role. Right. So the way Phil Jackson initially drew up the play was for Scotty to be the inbounds passer. He wasn't even going to be like, like you know, if Kukoc doesn't get open, like, Scotty wouldn't even even have been able to be, like, a secondary option. Right. He was the fucking inbounds passer. And that was what, like, really put him over the edge. Um, it says uh, here from this article, quote, um, 
Uh, going into the game, this is Pippen speaking. Going into the game, there was a lot of pressure on us. We were in a situation where we could have lost, and then we're down 0-3, and we probably lose the series. What was going through my mind is that I wanted to be there. Not to take the last shot necessarily, but just to be an option. Um, and then he says, all game I'm being utilized offensively, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and now we're taking a last second shot and you're going to tell me to take the ball out. Uh, Pippen's voice rises, then suddenly falls. I was being used as a passer, but really I was being used as nothing the way I saw it. <laughs> Jesus, man. Like, wow. Jesus. Um, and then, so then this article has some incredible uh, nuggets about Bill Cartwright who like took it extremely personally, I guess just as like the most senior, you know, veteran member of the team. Um, he really, he really responded negatively to, uh, to what Pippen did and actually ended up crying um, after the game, like in the locker room. Coach. Um, yeah, no, no, sorry. This is uh, Cartwright, Bill Cartwright, oh, okay. Billy, as, uh, <laughs> as, as Hubie Brown calls him. Um, Billy was taking it really bad. Billy was taking it really bad. He he kind of like took it upon himself to like address Scotty um, and like talk to him uh, both on the bench uh, as it happened and then again uh, like later in the locker room. Um, like a true vet. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it says here from this article again, this is the Chicago Tribune. Um, uh, blah blah blah. Cartwright goes into the locker room. Uh, when he emerged, Jackson let him address the team, and with tears of hurt and anger, he turned towards Scotty. Quote, when Michael was here, we put up with a lot of his garbage, Cartwright sputtered. Scotty, I can't believe you would let us come so far to bust our asses and then be so selfish. I've never seen anything like it. It's totally unacceptable. Uh, and then it says, the wow. sight of Bill Cartwright crying. Wow. The sight of Bill Cartwright crying was something no one had seen before. Um, and then it has this incredible uh, detail about he like goes home to his wife later that night. Um, after he told his wife what had happened, she was shocked. This is Cartwright again quote from his wife i've known him since high school and i have never seen him cry she said ever um and (laughs) then he uh he was so hurt said one bull if i was scotty i would have felt like dirt um and then we should get into some of the backstory um this wasn't I don't think that Scotty Pippen would have done this if literally any other player on the team had had gotten this play called for him. But it was the Kukoc. fact that it was Tony Tony Kukoc. Now we got a little bit into this last episode, Chris, yeah. about the the backstory, the psychodrama between Kukoc and the Bulls. But the more I researched this, like the richer it got. Um, so we talked about how, like, at the 92 Olympics, when USA played Croatia and Pippen and Jordan um, just, like, went, like, psycho mode and decided to right. um, just to like humiliate, humiliate Kukoc on, like, the world stage. Right. And there was, like, at the time I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Like, I mean, they're psychos and Kukoc was about to become a member of the Bulls and they were just kind of, like, trying to, like, do some weird hazing thing to him. But no, it wasn't just that, Chris. There was also a whole drama between Jerry Krause, you know, the yes. owner, and or I guess the GM. GM. Was he the GM, GM or the owner? GM president. Yeah. yeah, GM. Right, right, right. Um, uh, and the contract negotiations. Um, so do you know, like, a little bit about how, like, Pippen had, like, a famously, like, terrible contract for basically, like, the entirety of his prime yes. in Chicago? Yes. Like, he was just, like, woefully underpaid. Yes. I think in, like... The 94 season, he was like the 122nd highest paid player in the league or something it like was that. Absurd. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Pippen was trying to renegotiate his contract um, after his rookie deal because he was drafted in 87, I believe. 
um, and um, and was you know whatever like rookie contract. So he's trying to renegotiate his contract in like 1990 around then at the same time that the Bulls are wooing Tony Kukoc. Um, and I read that it was basically because of the fact that they were paying Pippen so little that they were, that they able, were able to pursue Kukoc. to offer Kukoc, who was ultimately given a $16.7 million deal um, over like seven or eight seasons um, when they, when they finally signed him in, uh, in 93. Um, and, um, so in the 93-94 season, uh, let's see, the New York Times, so Ira Burkow, um, who's a great uh, New York Times basketball beat reporter, um, he wrote about what had happened in this game right afterwards on May 14th, 94 in the Times. Um, Ira Burkow writes, um, oh, so another little uh, great tidbit, uh, just a detail of, of the moment itself. This is from the Ira Burkow Times article. Uh, according to Andrea Kramer, an ESPN reporter who was beside the Bulls bench at this time with a cameraman, quoted Pippen as issuing an expletive and then saying, quote, I'm tired of this. And Pippen then sat down. Some of the other players said, Pip, come on, get up. What are you doing? He refused to come back in the game. Since the Bulls were only sending four men on the court, Jackson had to call a second timeout. Um, and then it was then that they sub- that Jackson subbed in Pete Myers. Um, but so later in the article... It, uh, uh, Ira Burkett points out um, Pippen and Kukoc have had a rivalry going back some three years in which Jerry Krause, the Bulls general manager, had pursued Kukoc, a Croat who had been one of Europe's uh, European League's finest players. Um, the six foot 11 inch Kukoc was perceived as a kind of annoyance, if not a threat, because while Kukoc was being pursued, Pippen, who had been a Bulls standout, was involved in sticky contract negotiations with Krause. Uh, a little bit later on in the article, uh, it notes Pippen had expressed dissatisfaction with Kukoc in some ways with the Bulls, was known as giving him a, hard, a difficult time in practice sessions. And now we talked about in game one when Pippen like very publicly like lashed out at him in the middle of the game. Yeah. Um, like that kind of stuff just like happened regularly. And then it quotes, uh, it says uh, later in the article, quote, In recent days, Pippen has also said that he believes he deserves to be the highest paid bull. He's earning $3 million a year with two years remaining on his contract. But Kukoc, now rem- reminder, <laughs> Scotty Pippen at this point is a three-time NBA champion, an all-star, a member of the dream team, uh, you know, all defensive first team, um, you know, obviously like one of the top 10 players in the entire NBA. Tony Kukoc is a rookie. He's a rookie, Chris. So Scottie Pippen's earning $3 million a year. This is in the 93-94 season. Uh, Pippen's earning $3 million, and Kukoc is earning an estimated $2 million plus, but has a clause in his contract that may allow him to go above $3 million. Cool. <laughs> so there was a possibility in 1994 that he was gonna earn Tony Kukoc made more money than, than Scottie Pippen, Pippen. Which is insane. Yeah. I mean, insane. <laughs> um... And then uh, this is jumping back uh, to the uh, to the Chicago Tribune article from October '94. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, they're you know they the, they were reporting about uh, you know Bill Cartwright and Pippen talking after the game, getting very upset. Um, um, 
you know, Pippin's trying to defend himself uh, about, you know, not getting the last shot, blah, blah, blah. And then it, and then they uh, it, it, it reads here, uh, the pointed comments were aimed at Tony Kukoc for contributing to Pippin's anger on the last play was the play before a possession designed as a clear out for Pippin on the right side of the basket. That's the play that we talked about where Pippin was trying to ISO against Mason. Right. Um, only problem was that as Pippin drew the isolation, he wasn't entirely isolated. Kukoc was in the right corner, and despite Pippin's frantic waving, stayed there long enough for the Bulls to draw a 24-second violation with 5.5 seconds remaining. Uh, Pippin was fuming after the timeout. And then it quotes Kukoc as saying uh, about that play, um, uh, Kukoc said at the time he thought he was cleared out and wasn't exactly in the mood for criticism, especially after hitting the game-winning shot to bail out his team and, in effect, Pippen. Quote, where do you want me to clear out? He asked afterward. Out of the gym? Where do you want me to be? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking brilliant. Shots fired, Beautiful. yeah. Um, and then the article finishes up by, by noting... Uh, yes, uh, uh, this is Pippen in his weak- weakest moments uh, will not admit to having anything personal against the rookie. Yes, he admits he was angry when the Bulls, specifically Jerry Krause, did their most ardent recruiting of Kukoc at a crucial period before Pippen's last contract negotiations. And yes, he resented terribly the thought that the Bulls could end up paying Kukoc more than the $2.8 million Pippen was to be paid for the 94-95 season. And then Pippen literally says, quote, Horace Grant can make more than me. That's fine. He muttered on several occasions, but not Tony. I'll sit out a year before I'll let that happen. Oh, my God. Yeah, he said that. He was quoted uh, as saying that in a newspaper article. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, uh, that is just a little little bit of the, uh, the backstory. Um, wow, man. Uh, and I just, yeah, I'm sorry for going on at such great length there. No, but I just, thank, like, you, the... thank you so much. That was, <laughs> wow, incredibly uh, illuminating. That's just, wow, man. That's that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't understand yeah. the financial aspects of the... Yeah, the financial stuff is really what, what, like, drove it home. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it really, like, when you think back to it, like... I keep grappling or wrestling in my mind with the question, like, who... Obviously, like, it worked out fine. Uh, well, at least for that game. Um, the Bulls won. But, like, it was a bad... It was an ugly situation. And my question is, who do you think is more to blame, Chris? Is it Scottie Pippen? Or is it Phil Jackson for <laughs> making 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 the call to Pip to sort run of... Run the play you know, for Kukoc? Initiate that, yeah. Right. Um... Hmm, who is more to blame? I think you got to blame you got to blame Phil, right? You got to blame Phil for not putting the rock in the hands of Scottie Pippen, his his go-to scorer, the unquestioned leader of the team. Um am am, am I wrong? I, what's your I thought? think I think I'm with you. Yeah, I think I'm with you on this one. Um you know, obviously Pippen was a giant baby, um, and we all know that. Um, but you know, Phil Jackson is lauded as as this, you know, the Zen master mm-hmm. who, um, among his great skills as a coach, is managing the egos of superstars. Is that right? Like yes. that is like kind of part of his his legend is is the fact that he's able to juggle the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryant's, the Shaquille O'Neal's. He's able to to sort of you know, um, finesse and, and, and massage and, and soothe these great players into, into the, you know, the machines that he needs, uh, to, to win basketball games. I can't imagine 
that he thought that would go well. Like, of course, knowing the the details, the personal history, the backstory of Pippin and Kukoc, observing them every single day in practice, observing them every single day in games, knowing what that would have done to Scotty. Of course, in like the big, you know, on the big stage in his biggest moment, um, to to not even. I mean, it's one thing if like I get it. Like Pippin had had a terrible fourth quarter. Um, you know, he'd kind of gone ice cold thanks to Mason's defense. And Kukoc, oh, another interesting bit of trivia is that uh, Kukoc just that season had made three game-winning um, buzzer beaters. Oh, wow, I didn't um, know Yeah, in his, in his fourth game in the NBA as a rookie, uh, he made a, a buzzer beater three-pointer with the Bulls down two to win a game against the, like, the bucks i want to say maybe uh i forget but um but yeah he had he had had a uh he had really quickly built a reputation as like a big shot scorer um so it kind of made sense for phil to turn to him but for for him to make pippen be the inbounds passer like that that's where it becomes almost like a like oh was this like an intent like an intentional like were you trying to send a message here like what is going on like an inbounds like obviously you need a capable player to pass the ball in bounds but like you know, you've got guys on the team that can do that. I just um, feel like if it was inevitable that the Knicks were going to beat the Bulls, and Phil Jackson definitely knew that, you should at least satiate your star player. You know what I mean? Like, even even yeah. if you're going to lose, at least keep your your goat, your 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 sire, your king happy. Keep Scotty right. Pippen happy. And and here's the thing: the game was only tied at that point. If Kukoc misses the shot, they go to overtime. Mm. And then what? And then what happens? Like Pippen is like he has in his head all of overtime that like oh my coach doesn't believe in me like he doesn't think I can take the last shot like I don't know it's just a wild wild decision on on Phil Jackson's part right and um, obviously Pippen did not did not handle it well um, but man uh, just the incredible incredible drama um, yeah it was such a fucking crazy moment yeah. All right, man. This is uh, this has been great as always. Thanks for uh, taking a few minutes to talk today. Um, we will be back sometime later in the week, and uh, got more exciting stuff lined up. So, thanks for tuning in. I was going to say um, we. Uh, I, I think that Game Five of the series is also <laughs> a pretty a pretty infamous one. Okay. Um, I don't remember it that well myself, but um, let's not. Have but, you, you haven't looked at the box score because I haven't. I haven't locked any looked at any box scores, but I've I've kind of been reminded. I've seen a couple of things um, in articles noting uh, sort of what happens. And there's there's a, there's let's just say there's more history that is made. Okay. Um, Great. So I don't know. We you know we'll, we'll, we can still uh, decide and, and and plan out our, our content going forward here. But uh, just getting okay. a little little teaser there. All right. Well, um, we got a lot of fun stuff coming up in the next, you know, coming weeks, months, whatever it is. Uh, stay safe, man. Stay, stay yes. focused, stay sane, stay inside, and I'll talk to you real soon. Thank you, as always, for uh, giving me this brief hour and a half of not thinking about the rest of the world, and um, yeah. really can't tell you how valuable it is. Likewise, um, And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Man. All right. Bye. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. My name is Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at us at onthelinepod underscore pod. Find us on Instagram. Email us any of your thoughts or questions to onthelinepod at gmail.com. Check out previous episodes on our website, onthelinepodcast.com. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Have a great week. Stay safe, and we will talk to you real soon. <laughs>